Axis Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, the Small Business Loans Program is out of money, and Facebook takes a giant step toward fighting coronavirus misinformation. But first, the last dance of the unicorns. Every year, Forbes magazine does a cover package called the Midas List, which basically tracks the most successful venture capitalists. It does so via a fairly complicated and sometimes opaque set of calculations, which focus more on VC-backed startups that have gone public or been sold, but also gives great weight to how VCs themselves value companies that are still private, particularly so-called unicorns or private startups valued at $1 billion or more. Why it matters right now is that many of the investors celebrated on this list are in the midst of triaging, hemorrhaging portfolio companies. As the coronavirus pandemic has led to mass layoffs and other troubles for startups that had considered themselves to be quote unquote high growth just a month or two ago. Now, sure, some are actually flying higher, ask anyone who invested in Zoom. But for the most part, we might look back at this particular Midas list as the Bible of peak tech startup and some of those on it as the greatest Gatsby's. So let's dig in with Alex Conrad, senior editor at Forbes and keeper of the Midas list. So Alex, before we get into some of the kind of questions about kind of how you did it this year, just talk to me a little bit about the process and what was your biggest, if not takeaway, maybe surprise after you guys crunched all the numbers this time around. So we've done the Midas list for 19 years. I've personally worked on it for the last seven years. And it's a data-driven list where we are looking at the previous five years of up rounds or exits for these investors. And I would say... I was surprised to see that China continued to have a record presence on the list. You know, we had 22 China-based or Chinese national investors, which was a record. Last year was a record, too. So I'd say that was probably the number one surprise for me. Let me ask about China. One of the things, and, and you and I have had disagreements about this in the past, about Midas, that, that you guys basically look at two big pieces of data, right? Which is obviously companies that have exited, which means they've either gone public or they've been sold, or ones that have had major increases in valuation since they were first invested in. On the China side, how do you get comfortable with the valuations there of the still private companies for the ones that are actually based in China? Because as you know, there's all sorts of speculation, including by some of the folks who invest in those companies, that what comes out in the press releases about amount actually raised and valuation isn't necessarily always real because there isn't a kind of a public filing system like you have here. Yeah, so I would say, first off, we weigh these public exits more heavily. And so a lot of those Chinese companies are listed on NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange, where U.S. investors are vetting them and backing them. So it's not a total black box there. On these private valuations that are a smaller part of the list, we do have data from hundreds of investors and dozens of firms, both in China and the U.S., and so there's a crossover effect of the data and a triangulation done over sort of our years of experience where we can kind of see a consensus or a historical record with those. And so while you may have value judgments about unicorns and their valuations, we at least feel comfortable that these are consistent and that there's a consensus around these valuations. This list always comes out at around the same time, which is now middle of April. But usually you don't have a massive uh, global economic collapse in the weeks prior to the magazine being published. How do you think readers right now should view this list, given that a lot of the data that you guys were basing this on for both public and private companies, those valuations in most cases have changed significantly in the past few weeks? Yeah, great question. First, I would say I think the Midas list matters right now, even in this crazy coronavirus world, because if you think about these investors, they have great influence on 
the companies that are household names and influencing how we're living and working right now. So I'd say in terms of the relevance, if you think about these companies, it's Instacart, it's Peloton, it's Uber. These are companies that are very important today. Then I would say in terms of the valuations, this list is a little bit like recent archaeology. I studied archaeology in college, and we're looking at the past, try to get context to help us understand what's happening next in the future. And I see Midas as the same way. We do have these five years of exits and valuations that are the recent past. But they do kind of show trends and changes. And, and I've done this for seven years, so I've seen some of those play out that can really kind of inform us in the next few months. I think a lot of the impact on unicorn valuations that is happening today is changing on a daily basis. And it wouldn't be fair for us or anyone to make a value judgment there. But I do think it'll be really interesting to see next year on the Midas list some of the fallout of the next few months, which will be much more sort of trackable and empirical in 2021. Right. So certain companies, whether they be Instacart, et cetera, although it's still questionable whether the actual valuation of the company will go up if they're actually able to make more money. They have a weird, do they really make it up on volume or actually lose more every time they send a driver out? But I wonder when you were thinking about putting this list together at the last minute, did you guys give any consideration saying, wait a minute, there is a class of companies here that we know are in particularly deep trouble? And, and we've seen, obviously, Alex, you and I have seen these massive, massive layoffs over the last few weeks. Yeah. So I think we've seen healthy and troubled companies, perception-wise, doing layoffs and furloughs and making those tough decisions. I don't think that Forbes wants to be making a subjective value call on which unicorns are healthy or not. And you can imagine if the Midas list were to be sort of attaching these arbitrary valuations, even with good intentions and with a lot of context, that would, I think, set a bad precedent. Can I ask about that on, on the private company side? So, right. So when a company goes public, whether they're in the U.S. or in China, right, there, there is a, a, for lack of a better term, a third party price, right, which is the markets. But on the still private ones, given all and, and this is now really getting into the weeds, but given all the so-called structure, which often gets put onto these deals, arguably sometimes to inflate the headline valuation. How do you get comfortable that not that Forbes is putting a, a subjective price on them, but that the VCs are doing it for the very point of looking better? Yeah, so I would say on the structure side, we could have a much more in-the-weeds talk for our audience about structure. I think it matters more on the downside. And a lot of these companies, of course, you talk to the entrepreneur, they're not aspiring to have that downside situation where the structure actually really comes into play. But then I would say on these valuations, we are going off of last round valuation established by a new investor. And we are going, you know, you have to have a 2x multiple from the original investment by that investor. So you can't have an investor propping up their own valuation. And also we're not tracking sort of 1x numbers where if you set an arbitrary number, we would then take that as gospel. And then I would just remind you that, again, we are counting the public exits and then tracking the stock through lockup as a greater influence on the Midas list than these private valuations. So just a private valuation portfolio is unlikely to make the Midas list. When you look at the Midas list or really any list of venture capitalists, you guys have some healthcare investors on there, of course. But when you look, healthcare is, you know, depending on the year, kind of 30, 35 percent of all venture capital investment in the U.S. by dollars. But I guess by the returns, but when you look at the Midas list, healthcare specific investors or healthcare focused investors are relatively unrepresented. Do you expect that's going to change in the upcoming year, given what we've been through? Or does that seem to be a constant over time that despite what happens with health, you know, you go back to SARS or even Ebola, that the healthcare exits, while some of them are always huge, they just don't make a massive dent overall. That's such an interesting question. I love how, you know, it's great to talk to someone who has studied this as well. And, you know, what I would say is there are two interesting things in play there. One is 
you have a high concentration of a handful of life sciences investors who are doing a huge volume of deals. Look at Robert Nelson, who makes our list every year. He and his colleague, Christina Burroughs, they just did a great interview with my colleague, Alex Knapp, our science editor, which I would encourage folks to check out about COVID-19 and investing in that. Robert's done dozens of IPOs, like single-handedly. And so I do think there is a concentration in life sciences among those investors. And then the other thing that is important is a lot of them are doing IPOs relatively early, kind of like the tech sector of the dot-com boom, right? Or, you know, 20 years ago, where they're doing relatively small IPOs. And then a lot of the value creation is later when a drug actually takes off, you know? And so they're doing IPOs more as the cash raising side, what the tech world used to do. And I think that is something that Midas can't really track because we're tracking IPOs through lockup, not, you know, six years later when it's hard to know who owns the stock. Alex Conrad, senior editor with Forbes. You can look at the Midas list and all the content around it at Forbes.com. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Dan. Always a pleasure. My final two, right after this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the ProRata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP, which is part of the federal stimulus plan that involved giving loans to small businesses so that they could pay their workers and their bills. It was a very rocky rollout, and many small businesses that were approved for loans still haven't actually gotten their checks, but the demand was massive. So massive, in fact, that the initial $349 billion is gone. It ran out just this morning. Now, the White House has asked for another $250 billion or so to replenish the pot, with both congressional Democrats and Republicans saying they support it. But the thing is, Democrats also want other things included in the bill, such as more funding for hospitals and state and local governments, whereas Republicans want to do PPP alone and other stuff later. The bottom line, what happened this morning, the money running out, that should act as a forcing mechanism to result in quick compromise between the two sides. And finally, Facebook announced this morning that it soon will begin informing people that they have engaged with coronavirus misinformation. You know, so long as they did engage with coronavirus misinformation. The social network plans to do this via its new newsfeed and says it's still testing out different variations of how that will actually look. Why it matters is that misinformation about a pandemic can do more than affect your vote or what brand of dish soap to buy. It can have deadly consequences. And Facebook's actions here reflect how seriously it and other social media companies have taken the situation. The big question going forward, though, is if the policies it's putting in place now in terms of coronavirus will be expanded to other sorts of misinformation once the pandemic is over. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national wear your pajamas to work day, which really isn't quite a special as it once was. And we will be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.